Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 9. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today to be able to gather together as your people, as the family of God, and to open the scriptures once again and hear you speak to us. Lord, we pray that as we consider this text in Hebrews chapter 1, that Lord, you would teach us and you would guide us into the truth about who you are and specifically as we're reflecting on the birth of Christ, that we would better grasp the truth of who Jesus is. And so, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us through your holy word, that you would continue to stir in our hearts a greater and greater affection and love for you, that we would continuously realize that you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our devotion, all of our worship, all of our love, for all of our lives. So speak to us now. We invite you and ask you and plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as Justin mentioned, you know, Christmas is one of those times that we really ought to, as believers, take advantage of the fact that people are open to coming to church. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to be praying even now about who we might invite to Christmas Eve next Tuesday night because, of course, we are going to be preaching the gospel and we would love to see people coming to Christ. Uh, these are, for, again, just a lot of people culturally, some of the only days that they would darken the doors of a church. I heard about two college students who went to church on Christmas Eve and immediately after the service, the old Baptist preacher was standing by the door and he was shaking hands of everybody as they were walking out. And as he shook the first young man's hand, he pulled him aside and he, he leaned in and he said, you need to join the Lord's army, son. And the young man looked at him and he said, but I'm already in the Lord's army. And the preacher said, then how come I only see you at church on Christmas and Easter? The young man thought for a second and he leaned in and he whispered, I'm in the secret service. Well, we want even those people who think that they're in the secret service to come to church on Christmas Eve and hear the good news about Jesus and why Jesus is relevant 365 days out of the year and not just on those two holidays. So 
as a church family, let's be prayerful and let's be bold and courageous and invite people to church, particularly those who don't know Jesus. Well, last week we began our Christmas teaching with the, the theme and the idea of Jesus Christ as the Savior for the entire world. That Jesus didn't just come for a particular people group, but that Jesus came as God's appointed Savior for all nations and for all people. And we had an emphasis last week on global missions, and we received, we began, I should say, receiving an offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. And a lot of you were very generous last week in giving, but we're still gonna be receiving that offering over the next two Sundays. And so if you would like to give to that, you certainly can, and 100% of that money goes to international missions. But we have three more Christmas teachings between now and the arrival of our Savior. Today, next Sunday, and Christmas Eve. And so what we want to do with these three teachings is we want to focus together as a church family on the three offices of Christ. Since at least the time of John Calvin and the Reformation in the 16th century, Christians have come to talk about three offices that Jesus occupies. The offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so we're going to take a look at each one of these over the next three teachings. Now, as many of you know, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. So if Jesus was your fifth grade teacher, you would not say, I'm in Mr. Christ's class. That's not how it works. Christ is a title. And that title means anointed one. So when we speak of Jesus as the Christ, we're talking about Jesus as God's anointed one. And when God the Son took on flesh 2,000 years ago and was born in the city of Bethlehem, he came as a fulfillment of the three anointed offices of the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, it was prophets, priests, and kings who would be anointed with oil and set apart for God's special purposes. And so Jesus, the Christ, The anointed one takes on all three of these offices in the incarnation. And this week we want to begin by considering and reflecting on Jesus as the ultimate prophet. So when we think about prophets, the first question is, what is a prophet? We need to understand the ministry of a prophet. What exactly is a prophet? Well, simply put, A prophet is the mouthpiece of God to the people. Prophets spoke the word of God directly to the people. This is why a lot of times they would preface their statements with, thus says the Lord. It's a strong statement, thus says the Lord. They are essentially telling the people, what I'm about to say to you isn't really my message at all. This has come directly from the Lord. This is what we see in Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Notice in Hebrews 1, 1, God is speaking to their ancestors, but the way that he is doing it is through human intermediaries called prophets. So his message, his words going to his people through a prophet. 
Now, it's hard for us to fully understand the importance of this role. Today, we have the written word of God in its entirety. And not only that, but in our country, our literacy rates are exceptionally high. And what that means is that although the role of a pastor or a teacher is still vital for our spiritual well-being, each and every one of us literally have access to God's word in front of us every single day. Sitting in your lap right now or sitting on your smartphone or your tablet, you have God's word to you. This is an amazing thing. But for much of the history of God's people, this was not the case. They didn't have the entirety of God's revelation sitting there in written form. And even if they did, most people in the ancient world were not literate. They couldn't read it on their own. So when God wanted to reveal something to his people, his normal method was to speak to them through a prophet. Prophets then possessed great authority and they bore a great responsibility as the mouthpiece of God himself. This was a weighty office. This explains then why the penalty for being a false prophet was so severe. For somebody to be a false prophet, to say that they were speaking on behalf of the Lord but not truly be sent by God, the consequence for that was actually death. It was capital punishment. They would just be executed for doing that. We see this in Deuteronomy 18.20. Now imagine having a job like that. You have one bad day or you get your wires mixed up and crossed one time and the consequence for that is death. You're done. You die. This is the ministry of a prophet though. As somebody who has been set apart specially by God to be his spokesman and his mouthpiece. Now our passage in Hebrews reveals that the ministry of the prophets reaches its apex in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Actually, we'll read 1 and 2 together again. He says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So that was the normal method, verse 2. But in these last days, in this unique moment in salvation history, the, the end times, the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In other words... Jesus is the full and the final revelation of God to his people. And the reason for this is because Jesus doesn't only speak the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. In John 1.1, John begins his gospel famously by saying, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then drop down to verse 14 in John chapter 1. He makes this connection clear. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is telling us that this Jesus, who they saw physically on the earth, is the eternal Word who has always been, he was with God, and he himself is God. This is amazing. Jesus is the word of God. He is the ultimate revelation of who God is to mankind. 
Now, ever since Moses, God's people had been waiting for this ultimate prophet to come. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, here's what Moses tells the people. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. That's verse 15 of chapter 18. Then in verse 18, he continues, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This prophecy by Moses, who was the great prophet of God at this time, of another future prophet, who would be like him, basically launched an expectation among the Jewish people of a supreme prophet who was going to be sent by God and his words would be authoritative. Now, by the time we come to the Gospels, we see that the Jewish people had this expectation that that prophet had not yet come. And we see that they began suspecting that in Jesus of Nazareth, Maybe this was, in fact, the great prophet that Moses had prophesied about. Check this out in John chapter 6. This is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And they're out uh, in the countryside. And the people are starving and they have no food. And Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he multiplies it over and over and over again. And he feeds thousands of people. And the people sit back and they go, hold on, we've seen this one before. Weren't our ancestors starving in the wilderness? And through Moses, God sent down manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and he sent them meat through quail that would come into their camp every day. We've seen this one before. And check out the connection that they make as they're witnessing Jesus feeding them in the countryside. This is John 6, 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice they're not saying this indeed is a prophet that God sent into the world. They're saying this is the prophet. They're, they're, they're wondering, is, is this the one, this great, supreme, ultimate prophet that God is going to send to be his spokesperson. Well, even though they were speculating in John chapter 6, after the death and the resurrection of Christ, there could no longer be any uncertainty. And so Peter, immediately after the birth of the church, connects Moses's prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 to Jesus of Nazareth. As he's preaching Jesus in Acts chapter 3, here's what Peter says. Acts 3:22. He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Then in verse 26, he says, God, having raised up his servant, he's speaking of Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter is saying, look, Jesus is that ultimate prophet that Moses foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 
18. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. And like all faithful prophets, Jesus was God's messenger. Jesus came to speak the words that his father gave him. Listen to John 12, 49. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Then over in John 14, 24, Jesus says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So notice him functioning in the role of a prophet. I am telling what the Father has told me to say to you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Jesus spoke only what the Father intended for him to say. So when we think about the ministry of a prophet, their ministry is to be the mouthpiece of God to the people. And as we've seen, Jesus was certainly that. But what exactly is their message? They're God's mouthpiece, I understand that. But what is the message? What is the specific thing that God reveals through the prophets? Well, it can be challenging to understand the messages that the prophets were trying to communicate as you read the Old Testament, partly because there were so many different prophets and also because some of their communications were quite long. Isaiah, for example, his book is 66 chapters. So if you want a little casual reading for the afternoon, read those 66 chapters in Isaiah. That's a lot of content to sift through. But their, their message can also be challenging because the prophets do some things that seem pretty bizarre in their earthly ministries. Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days only to roll over in his bed onto the right side for an additional 40 days. Ezekiel also famously baked bread over human waste. Yes, that kind of human waste. Hosea, the prophet, married a prostitute. And then there's also that episode of Isaiah walking around naked for three years. So the prophets did some really, really bizarre things. But all of their seemingly bizarre antics were meant to be visual aids that helped the people to grasp their messages. That was the point of their ministry. So I want to distill for us four primary kinds of messages that prophets delivered. If you look at everything that they taught, everything that they were communicate, we can sort of categorize it all into four kinds of messages. So what is the message of a prophet? Number one, prophets revealed who God is. Prophets revealed who God is. Lots of their material was centered on helping the people to understand rightly who God actually is. If we're to know God and enjoy God and love God and serve God, we have to know who he is. We have to have a right understanding of him. So for example, Moses had the job of clearing up all of the polytheism that the Hebrew people had adopted in their 400 years in captivity in Egypt. Egypt worshiped all kinds of gods and God's people were somewhat polytheistic in their thinking. And so Moses in Deuteronomy 6.4 has to set the record straight. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This becomes foundational 
prophetic teaching for God's people. Who is God? Well, he's one God. Now, Jesus, in an even greater way, reveals to us who God actually is. Listen to this verse in John 1, 18. This is right after John has taught us that the word is God and that the word became flesh. In verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. So we can't just rely on our own senses to know who God is. Nobody's ever seen God. He says, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What he's saying is that this word who was with God, yet is God, speaking of Christ, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, he's saying that Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. It is in Jesus that God is made known. When we think about the Christmas story, the Christmas story is about God become man. That God the Son took on human flesh and in doing so, he reveals perfectly to us who God actually is. In John 14, Philip, one of the disciples, looks at Jesus and with perhaps a request that a lot of us could relate to, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. He's like, Jesus, if you could just help us to see God, that would be it. That would be, that would be everything for us. And Jesus says in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? What a radical statement. Jesus is saying, you want to see the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. If you need to know who God is, you're looking at him. Look, and then in Hebrews 1.3, here in our passage this morning, the author of Hebrews does not mix words here. He says in verse 3 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he goes on to talk about how Christ created all things. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. So that when we are looking at Jesus, we are looking at God and we fully understand through Jesus' his life and his teaching who God is. The second part of their message, so not only did prophets reveal who God is, but prophets warned of God's judgment for sin. As you read the prophets, this is a major, major part of what they were communicating over and over again to God's people. That God is not a God who dismisses sin or ignores sin, but that God is a God who brings judgment on sin. Here's how Isaiah begins his book. Isaiah 1 verses 4 and 5. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. So Isaiah is saying, you people are sinful and you have rebelled against God and you're being struck down and you're going to continue to be struck down 
if you continue doing what you're doing. Now, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, did the same thing. And a lot of people overlook this fact. Oftentimes, people emphasize exclusively Jesus' teaching on love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. But we need to recognize that Jesus also, just like all faithful prophets, warned people against their sin, that God would judge their sin. In fact, Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. Listen to these words in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 33. Here's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Those are scathing words of judgment that Jesus is pronouncing on these people who were effectively leading God's people astray. So Jesus, just like all prophets, in his ministry warned people, if you continue to persist in your sin, God is going to bring judgment. The good news is the prophets never stopped there. Their message wasn't just hellfire and brimstone and God is going to judge you and hell is your destiny. That was not their message. The third major component of their teaching ministry was that prophets called people to repentance. As you continue in Isaiah 1, here's verses 16 and 17. So he's warned them that God is going to judge their sin. And now he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. What's he calling for there? He's calling for repentance. Stop living this sinful life. Repent and start living the way that God is calling you to live. And Jesus, of course, taught the same thing. In Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Lastly, prophets pronounced forgiveness and pardon from God to the repentant. This is the final piece of their message. Yes, you have sinned against God and he'll bring judgment for your sin. But if you repent and you turn from your sin, God will forgive you and God will pardon you and he'll restore you unto himself. Isaiah 1.18, so again, in this one chapter, Isaiah has told them that judgment's coming. He's called them to repent and now look at verse 18. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah is telling the people, you can be forgiven. Your sins can be cleansed. 
They can be turned white as it were. Jesus does the very same thing in his ministry. He lets people know that they can experience forgiveness and pardon from God. In Matthew 26, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he's in the upper room with his disciples and he institutes communion or the Lord's Supper. And as he does, he makes this statement to his followers in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is telling them, listen, there is forgiveness to be had through my sacrifice, through the pouring out of my blood in the very next day. On what we call Good Friday, Jesus was going to go to the cross where he was going to be brutally murdered and be crucified and his blood would be poured out so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our sins could be washed away as we turn to Christ in faith and repentance. Ephesians 1.7 puts it this way, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So all of this is to say that at the incarnation, when Christ became a man, when he was born as a baby in that manger of the Virgin Mary, Christ fulfilled the office of the prophet. He is the ultimate prophet of God. So in conclusion, what does this mean for us today? First, as was mentioned, it means that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. In other words, church, there is no new revelation coming. And there is no prophet that we're waiting for that is going to supersede Jesus and reveal to us more truth about who God is. Jesus is the full and final revelation. And so if we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. The second thing related to the first is that it also means that if we are seekers of truth, we need to be seekers of Jesus. And this is so important because we live right now in a bizarre cultural moment. Bizarre that on one hand we idolize science for the certainty that we think it gives us about the way things are in our universe. And yet, on the other hand, we deny that absolute truth even exists. Everything is relative and subjective. And the most reliable guide regarding what is true is your own emotions, your own feelings. And so into these contradictions, Jesus stands as the ultimate prophet, the embodiment of God's truth, offering us a view on life and death and meaning and destiny that is straight from the mouth of of God. So if we want to understand the truth about life, the truth about the universe, the truth about the afterlife, we need to look for it in Jesus himself. In John 14, 6, Jesus famously said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Third and finally, what does this mean for us today? It means that life and death hang on what we do with the words of Jesus. Life and death hang on what we do with the words of Jesus. This is in fact what Jesus said in the conclusion to his Sermon on the Mount. 
In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus concludes his whole teaching by saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus, as the ultimate prophet of God, as the ultimate revealer of God's truth, is saying to the world, if you hear my words and you do them, then your life will stand the test of time. But if you hear my words and you dismiss them, then you will experience great and eternal ruin. So it is of the utmost importance then that we heed the words of God the Father at the Mount of Transfiguration. In Luke 9.35 we read, And a voice came out of the clouds saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One, Listen to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we this morning rejoice in the fact that you have sent to us your one and only Son, Jesus the Christ, to reveal to us more fully, more perfectly, exactly who you are. God, we are so thankful that in Christ we have the truth about the most important things in this universe. We have the truth that God exists. We have the truth that we were created to know you and enjoy you and live in right relationship with you. We have the truth that through our sin we've cut ourselves off from you. We have the truth that in and through the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Christ, that our sin can be removed and we can be restored to that right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we have the truth that by faith in Christ, when our life ends, in fact, when all of human history ends at the return of Christ, that we will live with you forever, experiencing fullness of joy. Oh God, we are so thankful for these truths today. We're so thankful for Christ, who is our ultimate prophet. So much more, but certainly not less. And so Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for revealing to us who God is and revealing to us who we are. And we pray that today and throughout this week, our hearts would be filled with joy as we reflect on the fact that by faith in you, we are in fact children of God. And by faith in you, we have a future and a hope that no one and nothing can take away from us. So we worship you today, Jesus. We celebrate you today for all that you've done for us. And we declare today that we look to you as the revealer of truth. We look to you as our ultimate prophet. And we follow your words and your teaching because we believe that in them, we experience life. So help us to do that. Help us to be obedient to what you've taught. Help us to be people of faith who take you at your word. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, church, can we please stand to our feet as we close with a song of worship? Let's do that now.